Welcome to Write Now with Scrivener, where writers talk about how they work, how they develop their ideas, and how they use Scrivener, the app built for long-form writing projects. I'm your host, Kirk McElhern, author of Take Control of Scrivener. In this episode, I'm joined by Elizabeth Haynes. Elizabeth is a writer who lives in Norfolk in the east of England, and she writes thrillers, and she used to work for the police. Elizabeth, hi. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Kirk. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I've been very excitedly looking forward to it. I've been trying to figure out how to describe your writing. You write thrillers, but your latest novel is more of a romance novel. Present yourself. I, I am a little bit of a, a, a genre hopper, I think, is is however you would like to, to say it. Um, I started out writing standalone psychological thrillers, and then I had a couple of police procedurals, which is sort of kind of linked. It's still in the, the crime thriller category. Um, then I had a historical uh, retelling of a true true unsolved murder. Uh, so that was kind of going a little bit off-piste. And then for the latest one, I've gone completely off-piste and uh, the latest book has no bodies in it at all. Although saying that it did have a body in it and I, I resurrected them because the love story was better than the, the murder mystery. So that's how come that came about. Did you start writing the murder mystery and then morph into the love story? Yes, yes, that's pretty much what happened. Um it was it's it's uh, it's called you me and the sea and it's set on an isolated scottish island and of course the thing about the location is it's completely cut off and the island has this deep dark black water lock on it and the island that I saw that that inspired this book um, I saw this lock and I thought well of course that's the fabulous place to put a body isn't it so the the story sort of started from there but then the characters um kind of fell in love in a really dramatic way and at that point I had a discussion with my editor and she said well you know the love story and the murder mystery are kind of fighting against each other a little bit and actually the love story is better so at that point I had to resurrect my body from the lock and and um and concentrate on the two main characters and it works out a lot better to be fair it, it was struggling a little bit with the body there that's really interesting because in genre fiction most authors are locked into a genre and it's pretty rare for an author to make that decision you know mid-manuscript I know I know and I I do appreciate that I I'm a very, very lucky author to have a publisher who allows me to experiment like that and who recognises that the, the story is is the thing, really. And if it if it is taking a risk and moving away from the genre that people know me for, um, to, to have a, a publisher that's willing to take that risk with me is, is, a, is a really great thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to think it works. I think also I always used to write romance, you know, years ago before I was ever published. And um, it was only when I started working for the police, I thought, well, you know what, now you could write crime fiction because you'd be able to do it in an authentic way. So I came into publication as a crime and thriller author. But actually, the romance was sort of where I came from originally. So really, it was almost going back to that rather than starting something new. So where do you see yourself going next in one way or the other or both paths on a parallel basis yeah I kind of think both probably you know I have um I have an idea for another book along similar lines to you me and the sea and um I I also have some crime books on the go as well I have kind of eight unfinished ones at the moment I'm terrible for writing a long way into a story and then getting a bit stuck and having shiny things syndrome and thinking oh actually I want to write this now so I might well revisit some of the pre 
previous crime stories that I've written and and see if I can um, bring those ones back into life. That's an interesting idea because people often have unfinished novels that sit in a drawer and sit in a drawer forever. But I would think in a lot of cases, if you've left a few years, you can go back and take your experience and rejuvenate something you wrote many years ago. And if you believed in the idea at the time, why not pull it out of the drawer and try and fix it? Yeah, I mean, there's there's often plot problems that you sort of get stuck on and it becomes so overwhelming. And in the meantime, you've started something else. But actually, sometimes your brain just takes a long time to percolate over those plot problems. And when you go back, it's, it's almost like someone else has written it, you know, some of the early stuff. Because if I've not edited it and worked on it, actually, it's, it is so unfamiliar that I can go back and go, well, why didn't I just see that the answer to the problem is this? And then I get all excited about it again and off we go. So you said you worked for the police. Did you have something to do with OCGs? Um, For those who don't understand, I'm making a reference to this abbreviation that was used in the British TV series Line of Duty, which, if you haven't seen, is one of the best cop series around. OCG means organized crime gang. Yeah. Um, This is basically what I used to do. So I was um, a police intelligence analyst for a number of years. And uh, when I left, which was, you know, to take a career break to concentrate on the writing, I was looking at organized crime groups then, OCGs, and and analyzing the level of harm caused by all of them. And, uh, you know, it was a a fabulous job for a, a nosy person, which is what I am, and and also a fabulous job for a writer because what what I was basically doing was looking at evidence and looking at intelligence and hypothesizing what if, you know, which is exactly what we do as as writers too. So you weren't going on stakeouts. No, everything I was doing was safely done from behind a spreadsheet. So I got to do the safe but very, very interesting bit without ever putting myself at any risk. Did you have an actual badge? No, and I wasn't a warranted officer. I was a civilian for the police force. So I never never had the the worry about having to go out and arrest people and, um, you know, wonder about whether I was going to be suddenly confronted by a knife or something like that. Did that ever inspire you to want to go further in the police? Because I can imagine that someone who writes crime fiction is thinking about all of those things. And you could be sitting at your desk one day looking at a spreadsheet thinking, oh, well, if I was able to do this and catch these people doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think the the actual the catching of the people is um, is something that's that's left to the experts and the trained people. But what I can do with my books is is hopefully with the crime books bring a note of authenticity in because a lot of the the crime books I read, brilliant as they are, um, things in them would never happen. I mean, I'm not going to specifically talk about Line of Duty, but a lot of the things that happened in that would <laughs> would never happen. But I think you know. The police get a bad rap generally, especially at the moment. And, um, you know, these people are putting their lives on the line every day to protect the general public. And if I can help people see um, a little bit of what it's really like, I mean, I I don't think I even do that because I've never been the one that's been out there in danger. But just to sort of see what it's like being part of the police family a little bit, then then that's sort of a good thing, I think. Um, But what I can do is what crime, the difference between crime fiction and crime fact is at least with crime fiction you get a resolution you get some sort of justice at the end isn't it so for all those cases 
that I worked on and that my colleagues worked on where there, there wasn't a resolution or, you know, things went to trial and the trial didn't go the way we expected it to go. Um, those are the, the sort of downsides of, of the, the real, the true crime. And at least in crime fiction, we get to make sure that the bad guys are put away and, and the detective gets to fight another day. Some people say that that's one of the main attractions of crime fiction, that everything gets tied up at the end and there are not too many loose ends and that good triumphs over evil. Is that what happens in your books? Yes, I think so. I mean, I, I think there has to be some sort of resolution. Otherwise, the the reader is profoundly disappointed at the end. But if you're if you're doing a, a crime series, then there has to be some arc that carries on through the, the, the crime series. Often that's with the detective, isn't it? There's sort of unre- unresolved relationships between the detective and colleagues or, you know, there might be a criminal like the uh, Scarpetta um, series where the, the criminal just you know, keeps eluding the detective and um, keeps coming back. So there has to be some sort of resolution at the end of each novel, but there is the opportunity there to be able to keep doing sequels, isn't there? Which is great for for a lot of writers. It is, because if someone discovers one of your new novels, they may go back to the backlist. And if someone enjoys the first ones, they'll buy every one as they come out. That's the hope, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> well, you've started a series. Have you only just written two novels in your series? I did two, yes. This, this is the DCI Louisa Smith series. Um, and there is there is the third one of that I wrote 80,000 words of. And this was one that I got tangled up in. And I think part of the reason I got tangled up in the third in the series is I was writing about people trafficking, which is a theme that goes across the the previous two books. Um, The first one's Under a Silent Moon and the second one is Behind Closed Doors. And the third one, I was going to have the resolution of the the organised crime group that was involved in this people trafficking. And I read a book called Lost Lives by a colleague, former colleague of mine, Lisa Cutts, who is, as well as being a serving major crime detective, is also a really brilliant writer. And she'd written about people trafficking in her book. And I read it, and I know this shouldn't happen for authors, but it, it really does. I read her book and I thought, that's so perfect there's no way I can do that justice now. And it wasn't that it was an end to the Louisa Smith series, because I'm sure that, I mean, there's so many more things I could write about with her and her team. It was it was definitely a team effort. It wasn't just her lone detective. Um, but for that for that moment, I had to put that one aside. And it, it might be one of the ones I could go back to now, now that that bit of time has elapsed. But I would, I would just say to everybody, please do read Lisa's book, Lost Lives, it's called. It's the best book about people trafficking I've ever read. I'll put a link in the show notes. One thing I noticed in your book, You, Me, and the Sea, is there's a little map of the island in the beginning, and and place seems to be important in your fiction. It's a really clever little island. First of all, it makes me think of an Agatha Christie novel. Second of all, it reminds me of a little island that I visited for a few days off the coast of Brittany, which was bigger than this, but that had the lighthouse and had some cottages and, and all of that. And it's kind of like the place where anything can happen because it's so isolated, isn't it? Is the island a character for you in this novel? Yes, it is. I mean, I I love islands. I love lighthouses. There's just something so evocative about being cut off, particularly islands off the coast of Britain where there is weather involved. Now, you know, depending on where you are, there's there's less or more weather, but certainly off the coast of Britain, there is going to be weather. Um, And the island and the weather almost are characters in the book. So, in, in You, Me and the Sea, Rachel is a city girl from, from Norwich who 
um, finds herself at a bit of a loose end for one reason or another and takes a temporary job working on the island, running the bird observatory that's there. So generally speaking, the only inhabitant of the island is uh, the nature reserve manager, who's a guy called Fraser. And then they have bird watchers coming to stay in this sort of youth hostel building on the island. And Rachel's job is temporarily to manage this. So she needs to change the sheets and clean the bird observatory and um, cater for them as well. So she should do lasagnas and garlic bread and stuff like that. So she turns up on the island with her uh, her brand new waterproof jacket with the label still hanging off it and her, her new kind of all-weather boots that barely fit her. And uh, really, really out of place. And on her first evening there, she sort of slips over on the cliff edge and slides down into a muddy puddle. And it's all just very wild and disastrous for her. She's so out of her depth. And yet the island itself is a, is a very sort of healing place as well. And it's very accepting of her and her her difficulties. And that's sort of where the story came from. So the island was the starting place, really. It really was. And, and a character in its own right, as you said. Have you ever been to an island exactly like this? This one seems very small from the drawing. Would this be an ideal writer's retreat for you? It's a bit too remote for me, to be fair. I mean, Norfolk <laughs> is a bit remote for me. I'm, I'm still getting the hang of Norfolk. Um, but actually, it's it's when I first had the idea to write um, a book set on an island, I put out the general writer's request on Twitter saying, does anyone know an island with no real inhabitants, but it's got a lighthouse and weather and stuff? And um, a friend of mine suggested the Isle of May, which is off the coast of Fife in Scotland. And I had a look at it online. I thought, you know, Google Earth is, is brilliant for stuff like that. I thought that'll do. So I managed a, a visit there in September just before um, the pandemic hit. And um, I thought, this is perfect, but obviously I can't say it's the Isle of May sure. because there's a, there is a reserve manager who lives there and probably he doesn't want to be thought of as being Fraser, <laughs> my main character. So I created a fictional island <clears throat> a bit further out into the North Sea from the Isle of May. So it's, it's the Isle of May's smaller, grubbier, more remote sister, if you like. Are these the, the islands there that have these old Viking ruins and, and all that? Yeah, the Isle of May has got ruins of a, a priory. I think it's an 11th or 12th century priory. So it's got that. But what it has got is an awful lot of seabirds. So it's got puffin colonies and Arctic tern colonies and um, an incredible seabird breed, breeding season. And you can go there on a boat and have a look. You know, you can go and visit, which is something I would recommend everybody to do. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you got into writing, how you wrote your novels, and how you used Scrivener. Writing a book, screenplay, or even a long article is a juggling act. You need to find the right words and the right structure, keep track of research, and refer to notes. Tailor-made for long writing projects, Scrivener is the go-to app for writers of all types. Scrivener combines a typewriter, binder, and corkboard in a single app. A project outline makes it easy to get an overview of your work and flip between sections. Refer to research alongside your writing and just drag and drop to rearrange your work. Write in any order in sections as large or small as you like and let Scrivener stitch it all together when you're ready to share your words with the world. With Scrivener, you'll find everything you need to start writing and keep writing. Scrivener is available for Mac, Windows, iPad, and iPhone. Download the free trial from ScrivenerApp.com. 
right now with Scrivener listeners can get a 20% discount with the coupon code PODCAST. That's ScrivenerApp.com. So, Elizabeth, how did you start writing? Have you always wanted to be a writer? Did you start writing when you were working for the police or was it before that? Um, I've always been a writer. I think I started writing stories and novels when I was about 13 years old with a, a typewriter, electric typewriter that I got from a secondhand shop. Um, but publication, you know, is something that happens to other people. It was something that I never thought would happen to me. And I would often write things and then stop and abandon them because, you know, if it got too tricky, there's there's no point carrying on. Nobody's ever going to read it. And then in 2005, October 2005, a friend introduced me to NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. And that was when things really took off for me, I guess. So National Novel Writing Month takes place in November, and the goal is to write 50,000 words in the month of November. Some people will check their word count every day. Some people will wait till the end of the month. Did you complete a novel the first time around? Yes. Um, I d well, I did 50,000 words the first year and didn't finish the actual story but I did do the 50,000 words and it felt like an absolute gift to me as a writer because here is a reason for me to not stop writing you know it's it's only 30 days uh, you basically just write and carry on um, and at the end of the month you have 50,000 words that you didn't have before so it was um, and besides anything else you know it's great fun it's it's a it's an excuse to prioritize your writing which when you've got a day job and a family and everything else it's a really difficult thing to do to to say oh I'm just going to go and write for a few hours you know but in November you can get away with it so it's brilliant I think so when did you write the first novel that was published okay so 2005 I wrote the had my first go uh, 2006 2007 I did it again Again and again, didn't finish either of those two years, but still did the 50,000 words. And 2008 was the first time I had a beginning, middle and an end. And that was the first one I thought, you know what, I could go and edit this. This is the first time I've had anything that I've finished. And I had some good characters. I thought I had a good plot. So I was tinkering around with that for a, a, a few months. I kept working on the first 30,000 words and then getting stuck and thinking I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never edited anything in my whole life. Um, and then my cousin said to me, I, I think I, it was, he was the first person I said I've written a novel to. I don't know why he was the first person. And he said, well, what are you waiting for? Why don't you send it off to someone? And I did. I sent it off to um, a gentleman called Greg Moss, who is a creative writing teacher and a brilliant writer and editor as well. And he sent it on to Myriad Editions. He said he sent me an email and said, I've sent it to a publishing colleague for a second opinion. And Myriad Editions are a brilliant independent publisher in Hove. And they emailed me and eventually they said, oh, we'd like to publish it, which, you know, could have absolutely floored me it was amazing um but there we go and that was that was my first novel which was into the darkest corner which went on to become amazon's best book of amazon uk best book of 2011 it won the amazon rising stars and is now published i think in 34 countries wow i know That's it's great. amazing isn't it isn't it yeah it still blows me away every time i think of it i still can't can't really quite believe that it happens but here we are 
So when did you start using Scrivener? Scrivener, I think I, I found Scrivener in about 2013. And that was also a bit of a life changer. So previously, I just used Word. And my problem is quite often I have multiple narrative streams um, or multiple time periods, lots of narrators, sometimes several narrators. And to be able to manage a document like that and keep a hang, handle on who is who is you know, is saying what in which part of the book and to be able to find scenes that I've used previously and go back to them. As soon as I discovered Scrivener, I thought, oh, hello, this is what I should have been using from the word go. And how much easier would my life have been if I had it all the way through? So how do you use Scrivener? Do you use the research folder a lot? I'm thinking that since place is important to you and do you have photographs or the, the map that you drew of the Isle of Must or things like that? I do put things in the research folder, but then I don't often refer to them. I think I put them in there as a bit of a safety blanket. Um, and I should say that the amazing map of the Isle of Must in my book was was drawn by my brilliant friend, Joe Hinton Malivois. She's, she's an amazing graphic artist, and I was blown away when I saw the map. I think it's amazing. Um, so, yes, I do put things in there, but the thing I use most is the, the binder and the inspector to be able to sort through uh the structure of the book so i have different scenes are kind of coordinated depending on who the narrator is and i sort things into parts and chapters and sections and then i use the binder to be able to sort through all the scenes that are by a particular narrator for example so i can work on them all at one at one time and they're all still in the right place while i'm doing it i think that that feature is amazing i also use the cork board to be able to identify whether a scene is still needs work or whether it's first draft or second draft or whether it's finished so i can keep track of what work i still have to do when i'm editing from what you said i have a feeling that you're not really an outliner that you just start writing and take it from there I am absolutely a pantser, 100% a pantser. <laughs> I, I never plan because I get very bored easily, as you can probably tell from what I said earlier. And I think if I know how a story is going to end, there, there's then no point in me writing it. So I have to um, start off with a little starting point, a germ of an idea, and then just run with it and hope for the best. It's interesting because some writers, especially writers of crime fiction, say they know the ending when they start. And others say they want that surprise of what happens organically as they're writing. You prefer the latter? Yes, definitely. I think probably that explains why I have eight unfinished novels kicking around is because the, <laughs> the right ending hasn't presented itself to me. And often when I am writing, the ones that have gone on to be published, I will approach the ending almost, you know, you, you get to that point and there, there might be five or six different endings that are possible from what you've written already. And at that point, I will just pick one and, and go with it because... Because if it's the wrong ending, then I will go back and change it. And Scrivener is great for helping me to do that because the other thing is I never delete anything either. So if I have a scene that no longer works or if the ending's changed, it just goes into the trash folder. I just move it into the trash folder and then I know it's still there if, if I change my mind. I very rarely do, but also I like the option of being able to go back and, and revisit bits to see if they work after all. So what happened with your latest novel where you switched gears halfway along? Did you end up throwing away a lot and rewriting sections of it or did it just come to a fork where you you realize that you could just 
zig instead of zagging? I was pretty near the end, I think, when that decision was made to uh, take out the the crime element of it. I mean, there are still there are still some crime elements in there. And one of my lovely reviewers, one of the people who read an early copy of it, said. I've written a romance as if it was a mystery. So there's still quite a lot of exciting bits in there. And there's, it's still quite threatening, really, the island in, in places with the loch still there. You know, it's still quite a scary place. Um, so there was a lot of things that needed to go, but a lot of it could actually stay. And I think it really helped that romance to work because there was the... The, the threat that was still there from the from when it was a mystery. But yeah, I mean, I got rid of an awful lot and I rewrote an awful lot, but that's what I kind of do anyway. You know, I because I'm a, a pantser rather than a planner, there is a lot of stuff that gets put in that trash folder a lot. Quite often, you know, I, I suppose my books end up being around 100,000, 120,000 words. And I would estimate that probably... If I added up all the words I'd written on that project, it would be well over 200,000. I don't read a lot of romance novels, but it always seems to me that the ones that I read are always mysteries in a certain way. Because even though you know there's going to be a happy ending, you don't know how the characters are going to get there. Is it that different from crime fiction? I don't think it is. I think it's about telling a story, isn't it? And if you've got a compelling enough story, whether there's a body involved is, is kind of neither here nor there. You've got to really love the characters and really believe in them to be able to want to go on that journey, no matter what's going to happen. Do you have a writing routine? Do you get up in the morning, make your tea, start writing? I wish. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm a, I'm a very disorganised person generally. Um, in November, I'm very focused because I still do NaNoWriMo every year. Every um, year, in spite of having, what, eight novels published so far? Oh, yeah, definitely. And all of them, apart from one, the historical one, which was a, a true story, required so much intense research that it didn't work doing that for NaNoWriMo. But every single book I have written, all, all seven of the others were all written in November. They all started in November. And I will always continue to do NaNoWriMo every year because it's the, the way I know how to write. It keeps me focused. Um, it's exciting and thrilling and it makes the whole novel writing process so much fun. So I mainly write first drafts in November and then I spend the rest of the year finishing, tinkering and editing. And that is very much a case of, you know, I work to deadlines and if I have a deadline, then great, I'm really, really focused. And if I don't have a deadline, then there's, sad to say, an awful lot of staring into space involved. Do you have a nice view where you are at least to stare at? I do, to be fair. I have a lovely view. I've, I've got a really nice garden here and I've got bird feeders right outside the window. So there's a lot of staring at the, the bird feeder and wondering what's going to pop up next. So would you recommend that everyone try NaNoWriMo if they want to be writers? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm a massive fan, as you can tell. I think people need to um, decide the difference between... Oh, let me say that again. Um, I think it needs to be clear that NaNoWriMo isn't about publication. It's about writing. And you can have tremendous fun writing your novel. If you've always thought, I've got a novel in me, this is your excuse to do it. 
I think there is the possibility, the potential, once you've written a book and finished it and edited it and worked on it and got some opinions on it, then publication is something that absolutely can come out of that. But a lot of people criticise NaNoWriMo because they think a whole pile of really awful books are going to end up on a, an editor's um, slush pile and what's the point? And it's not about that. It's not about that at all. It's about writing and having fun. And I think that is definitely something for everybody. So you recommended a book earlier, Lost Wives. Are there any other novels you've read recently that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Oh, yes, yeah, Stephanie. Um, so recently I read The Last House on Needless Street by Katrina Ward, which I think is pretty much a bestseller in the UK at the minute. That's absolutely brilliant. And the other one that I read and really loved recently was The Lamplighters by Emma Stonex, which is also a book set on an island with a lighthouse and more of a mystery than mine. So those are two I would definitely suggest you, you have a look at. They're brilliant. Okay, Elizabeth Haynes, thank you very much for joining me. There will be links in the show notes to your website, to your books and to NaNoWriMo if any listeners want to learn more about this. I think if anyone wants to have a go at NaNoWriMo, absolutely, I say go for it. And hopefully there will be many more baby novels being born this November that I'm going to look forward to hearing about and seeing on the bestseller list eventually. If you like the podcast, please follow it in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Scrivener, go to ScrivenerApp.com. Join us next month for another conversation on Right Now with Scrivener.